Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. We're going to keep it pretty loose. How long do you have to talk to as, me, Michael? As long as you like. I'm, I'm all good. Four hours it is. Great. Excellent. Okay. Th- yep, the yep. Apocalypse Now director's cut version. Yep. Which I, Actually, Dad and I saw that at the Asta. Um, oh, Wow. It's kind of like a formative father-son experience. It was very good. Well, I also do recall Mad Magazine did a pox on your lips now. Yes. I had to love Mad Magazine. Oh, it was a hi- I, highlight of my childhood. I used to go. I, I used to go into the, uh, to the newsagent when I was... Before I was 10... And I used to furtively go behind one of the shelves and fold the back, <laughs> yeah. and then ruin it for. Oh, anyway. yeah, Dad, Dad, Dad actually did that with the non-Mad magazine related books for years. <laughs> just going through libraries, fucking up. One of these has got to work. Looking for a folding. <laughs> I think if we if a loose if a third loose unit book happens, I'm going to make life hell for Penguin and make sure that the cover is an actual folding. I think that would be nice. Uh, um, Yep, expensive and unnecessary. Uh, much like uh, Capital and Corporal Punishment. Hello and welcome to Loose Units, Loose Ends. I'm Paul, that's John, and today we have a very special guest. His name's Michael Adams, and he is the creator and host of the history podcast, Forgotten Australia. I know for a fact a lot of you listen. It's an absolutely wonderful show. And he's also the author of a recently published book called Hanging Ned Kelly, which Dad and I have just inhaled. Michael, welcome to the show. And may I just say, this is not a show that we get guests on. I think you might be the first actual guest on Loose Units. Gentlemen, thank you for having me, and I am honoured. It's The honour is all ours. It's, it's such a great book, and it's such an intensely... Dad, how would you, how would you rate this book? Because, Dad, you're not a reader, are you? No. Well, I do research. I mean, I can read. <laughs> I'm familiar with the concept of, of, you know, letters that weren't put together, mm. not randomly, but with some, you know, thought. Yep create words and when you string them together you get mm-hmm. sentences and then from there so i'm i love i love reading if it's research based right. okay right. i don't my mind is that's why i don't take drugs i stopped taking drugs <laughs> when i was 15 because i realized that you are drugs it's just not cool so right. i don't need to get into other people's fantasies however michael when i when I received your book some weeks ago, uh, in a mystery package, I was when I saw the title and the, and the rather sad fuck the, the photos on the front they they speak volumes, um, and I I I actually couldn't put it down. I took it to the toilet, I took it into the shower. I had to, get it, I had to go and buy another copy because all the 
the page has <laughs> turned into one blob. Yeah. I'm oh. hoping all readers follow your example because oh, that'll really yes. boost sales. Look, you know, and it's a part of our history that is... Because our history, 200 years, it's not long. No, that's right. And it is so diabolically fucked what you've written about. <laughs> oh, I, I have to say, when I was researching it, I was just like, oh my God, every single day. And I'd rush out and tell my partner some, you know, horrific fact about some flogging or hanging where the bloke took 20 minutes to die. And she'd kind of look at me and go, yeah, we don't need to be talking about this over breakfast. How do you rate our kind of past? Because I was, you know, I'm a big fan of... um you know, westerns and stuff like that. And it's always interesting seeing a colonized country and how brutal and weird their, you know, recent history is. How do you think ours rates compared to other countries and the level of brutality? Because I'll be honest, this felt unprecedented to me. Some of the stuff you talk about seems like almost medieval. Oh, absolutely. Um, the thing is, we came, I mean, being a sort of a new country, we inherited a lot of the traditions from ye olde England that they'd actually kind of done away with to a large extent. Like, you know, for instance, they used to have a procession where they'd take, you know, the, the condemned person from the jail in, in London and do this three-mile trek to the place where they'd be hung, Tyburn. Um, and, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of people would line the street and they'd, you know, have a laugh and a joke and even a drink with the condemned person as they're on the way to the gallows. Uh, and eventually they got rid of this in 1783, cut to five years later, and, you know, the first fleet arrives in Australia. And for the next, you know, three decades, four decades, there'd be processions in Australia, which were, you know, just something that was a hangover from from England. Um, we, you know, hanged people in greater numbers here in the mid-1800s than they did back in England as well. And I'm not talking on a per capita basis, I'm talking on an actual basis. So, you know, there was one year I looked at where I think, you know, there were 13 people hanged in England, population 28 million. Mm. And there were, I think, the same number hanged in Victoria, uh, which at that point had maybe 500,000 people. So we really embraced hanging and then we re-embraced flogging as well. And even in places like the United States, the, the level of hangings weren't anywhere along the lines that, you know, we, we were carrying out in Australia. Of course, they had, you know, their own brutality, slavery and stuff like that. But, you know, we could match that as well with our treatment of Indigenous people. So it really was sort of, you know, just this uh, viewpoint into this incredibly dark colonial underbelly that's not taught in schools. I mean, if it was, I think people would take, pay a lot more attention to Australian history because it's gory AF. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's extraordinary. And, um, you know, the types of crimes that were committed, um, you know, things... In history, crime doesn't change. No, if, that's right. If you look at all the crime... I mean, certain things are decriminalised. For example, people were executed for buggery. That's right. And, um, you know, they were, they, were in, they were hung for having sex with, with you know, cows. Yep. Um, nowadays, you probably wouldn't... Well, you certainly wouldn't be executed in Australia... And you, I guess you probably wouldn't go to jail. I mean, you might sort of, they'd try and give you some some pills. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, Captain Arthur Phillip is held up in our sort of history books as this enlightened dude, which, he, you know, to some extent he was, but and he was against capital punishment with the exception of sodomites and murderers. Mm -hmm. And his, his proposal was to, you know, when these crimes happened in Australia, was to send the offenders to New Zealand to be eaten by the Maoris. That was actually his solid proposal in a, opposed to hanging. Um, and you're right about, you know, the crimes 
changing uh, so you're right about crimes not changing like you know, a large percentage of the sort of uh murders that i looked at in the book were domestic homicides you know a, a man crazed by alcohol frustration on the goldfields whatever taking it out on his wife the thing was if you beat your wife to within an inch of a life you'd probably get you know two months if you were unlucky mm. go that step further and then you'd be hanged mm. uh, so it's just you know a crazy system the job of being the flagellator and also the hangman was a... I mean, it was well paid. and But what a terrible, terrible job. And with no real anonymity, there have been cases in the United Kingdom where families, and there's a very famous case, where the family of, a, of an executioner never, ever knew that he was the executioner. Oh, That's my right. God. Well, I mean, Dad actually has a well had a picture hanging business, and for a while he'd refer to the hanging jobs he was doing all day. And I kind of at one point went, "Can you imagine? Imagine if that was just prison slang for something. Imagine if he was just popping over to some country where they still do that and just yanking on a on a on a lever." I mean, what's crazy about this book, Michael, is that I wandered in thinking it was a story about Ned Kelly, and you know it is. But it's also a story about this kind of shitty Avengers, this group of just absolute murderous weirdos who were sort of corralled into doing this job so that the state could wash their hands of it to a degree. I mean, what was it like for you exploring the lives of these uh, lesser known murderers, I guess? I was just sort of amazed that there was so much to find. Like, you know, the National Library of Australia's Trove database Mm. is a national treasure. I mean, you know, we've got hundreds of digitised newspapers which are searchable going back to sort of, you know, 1803. Mm. And you could just trace the, you know, evolution of these guys. You had to sort of vary the search terms sometimes because they spelt their names differently in in various papers. They also went by the nickname of Jack Ketch, who was a really infamous uh, 1600s English executioner, a total drunken bungler. So these guys, their sort of, you know, misadventures were reported in the papers. So you could build up this sense of who they were. And, you know, they were to a man pretty much miscreants. Um, each of them, um, in Victoria at least, had been, you know, a transported convict, done their time in Tasmania or in Sydney, uh, been released, continued lives of crime, ended up, you know, sort of older, in jail, with no prospects. Someone comes along and says, hey, how about five quid to hang this fellow or, you know, one pound to do these floggings? They said, sure, okay. Um, I think, you know, they'd grown up in this society, so they knew what it entailed. And that meant you'd be ostracised. You know, people wouldn't rent you a room. You'd never be able to get another job. You didn't wear a mask, so everybody knew who you were. Um, And then, of course, you know, these guys are traumatised by what they're doing. Um, And they're doing badly because no one's really got any idea of how to hang people correctly. So it's sort of, you know take you know put a rope around their neck and hope for the best and a lot of these people struggle for you know minutes Um, one guy struggled for up to 22 minutes on the end of the rope and this continued right into the 20th century after they had sort of perfected the so-called science so these guys you know these hangmen would then go out and spend their money on alcohol huge amounts of alcohol and they'd shout whoever was around because that was the only way they could get you know companionship that end up in jail, um, and the whole system would just, you know, rinse and repeat. You know, that being in jail was no barrier to doing your job. In fact, it was probably better because you were in a cell right there where you were needed, and mm. you'd be relatively sober. And what ast- astounded me was this system 
was instituted in Victoria in 1847 when they first sent down a permanent hangman from Sydney, an old lag who was doing a life sentence. He'd been in, you know, a convict for 30 years already. Yeah. And, you know, within weeks of him doing his first job, he was out on the Terps causing a ruckus. The newspaper columnists are wringing their hands saying, you know, we can't, what, what, can, what can we do about this? This is a disgrace. And you'd still find articles exactly like that 40 years later after they'd appointed a succession of hangmen who were even worse. You know, they seem to, uh, a hangman would either, you know, nick off or die and they'd replace the person with another dude who was far, far worse. Um, so it was just, yeah, it was an extraordinary sort of system whereby they just didn't care, I don't think. I mean, I think that maybe having a hangman who was a drunk and a bungler probably actually added to the punishment. You know, you couldn't be sure you were going to get a clean exit. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's not like in the States where you've got... I mean, I'm Dad and I are opposed to capital punishment. Um, I don't mind saying that on the show. And one of the things they do in the States is they try and make it as, uh, you know, rabbit fingers, humane as possible by having, you know, medical professionals and whatnot. Like, let's say, Dad, you were at the police academy and they said, look, do you want to do general duties or do you want to go off and specialize in this sort of, you know, do a major in executions and then you'd be <laughs> appropriately trained, you know, or do a TAFE course or something. I mean, Dad, you were... By the time you were a police officer, they weren't doing hangings anymore um they stopped the last hanging i believe was in no the the death penalty was done away with in 1975 in victoria um but But the last execution was in western australia but you know like the legislation still was in place where they technically could have done it but look i i could not for all the money in the world do it i am traumatized um if i accidentally run over an animal I, it freaks me out. I don't understand how humans can just do that for a job. I understand the war thing. I get that. You know, protecting sort of country family in a, in a battle situation. But just having a job where you just go off and, and you look these people in the eye, I find that traumatic. But, Michael, can you mm. just um, just talk to us about the incredible 
and I did not know this until I read your book, The Significance of the Placement of the Knot. Yeah, well, that was the sort of enduring debate was where does the knot go? Um, You know, before sort of the 1860s in England, it was sort of, you know, well, it could go under the chin, it could go at the back of the neck, under the ear, well, take your pick and hope for the best. Thing was, they weren't actually doing long drops uh, for a lot of this time. So the, per- the person would only drop a couple of feet with this rope around their neck and they'd strangle. I mean, if you were lucky, you'd be unconscious in 10 seconds or so and you'd be dead. But, you know, if the rope was sort of caught up under your chin, you would just strangle for up to 45 minutes. And, you know, in England, though, you know, they were also... Dr- remember, it's hanged by the neck until you were dead because there's also the other option, hanged by the neck until you've just been tortured sufficiently and then we'll slice you open... While while you're still alive. So um, in Australia in the 18 sort of 60s, until the 1860s, it had just been, you know, uh, put the knot wherever it's, where, wherever you fancy and, you know, hopefully it'll do the job. Mm. Uh, there was a doctor in Victoria called Dr. Edward Barker, and he was such an enthusiast that uh, a, when a Civil War ship came to Melbourne in 1865, one of the young officers was seated next to him at this dinner at the Melbourne Club. And he actually, this young American Confederate soldier, sailor, wrote a diary. And in the diary, he described the hanging judge who, you know, over over mutton and potatoes, just, just talked at length continually about the best place to put a knot. I mean, talk about, you know, pass the butter governor. Um, so... It, it came to pass that, you know, the idea was that it was... Well, Dr. Barker thought at the back of the neck was the place to be, uh, the knot for the knot to be. It would break the neck and, and deliver a clean death. Eventually, the intelligence came down from London that the knot was to be placed under the left ear mm. and the drop was to be calculated according to the prisoner's weight. This gave the best chance of the neck being broken and death being more or less instantaneous. Instant. Okay. Instantaneous. Okay. Thing was, though, is that you know you get the knot knot slips. Um, there's a bit of give in the rope. You clip the uh, trapdoor as you go through. Any number of factors uh, can can change that. So you know, right into the 20th century. I mean, the hanging of Ronald Ryan, which was the uh, last execution in Victoria in 1967. You know, the press reported. You know, he died instantly. He didn't die instantly. He took up to 20 minutes to stop moving at least um, mm-hmm. at the end of the rope. So it really was, you know, an incredibly barbarous way to go and kind of random you know despite their eventual best efforts mm. um, and I, I would sort of defy anybody to read the book and go yeah I'm all for capital punishment or I'm all for corporal punishment you know I've put a few Facebook posts up and I've received you know responses like that you know flogging bring it back it's like well maybe sit down and read the accounts of what it's like for a man to have you know his back stripped of flesh while a bunch of other guys gentlemen stand around sort of savoring this which is the the, the sort of strangest thing was, you know, these executions, while they were public, attracted thousands of people. Um, in Victoria, the first execution in 1842, um, done by a convict uh, who was just sort of roped into it, uh, attracted, I think, about 7,000 people. And the entire, what was going to be the colony of Victoria, the whole Port Phillip district, was only home to about 20,000 folks. And a lot of those people lived way out. So, you know, basically the entire population of Melbourne turned out uh, to this hanging, and you could argue it was the first mass public entertainment event in the city's history. Um, there was just this appetite for it. So, you know, corporal and capital punishment didn't just, you know, punish the people who were convicted. It also sort of punished the society, creating this bloodlust, I guess. 
right? Mm. So it's a, it's weird because you discuss, in reference to flogging, um, the usual little knot of connoisseurs, which was the most upsetting way of phrasing, basically a bunch of fetishists sitting there kind of getting off on it. I mean, what's yeah. the correlation, do you think, between corporal punishment and the pleasure gained by specific types of people who were watching it? I think it's very strong. And that, that uh, quote, little knot of connoisseurs, was actually from the diary of the governor, John Buckley Castillo, who was in charge of Melbourne jail. And he was, in his diaries, frequently disgusted by you know these people leaning on him to, hey, let me get a ticket to come and see the flogging. Mm. Um, and, you know, this would be the sheriff would allow uh, people to come and see the floggings. And after hangings were made quote unquote private in 1855 these sheriffs would still allow up to 150 people into the jail so i'm not sure about your definition of private but if i'm about to be hanged i and it's supposedly a private execution i would hope it would be you know me the hangman the priest the governor and you know maybe a couple of jail warders mm. but there was you know 100 or 150 people who would follow the hangman follow the hangman and the condemned person sort of dog their steps across the yard and so forth and i i find it really difficult to believe that the sheriffs weren't getting some sort of kickback for this you know hey i'll slip you a quid if me and my family can come and watch this guy get strung up um so there was a, i think a really strong um relationship between these forms of punishment and the pleasure and entertainment that were sort of you know provided to the masses, first by actually being able to watch them happen, second by able to, you know, by hook or by crook, getting access to some sort of flogging or, or hanging in the jail. But then when, you know, in terms of mass entertainment, you know, you get the start of a, a tabloid newspaper in mid-1870s in Melbourne called Police News, um, which is just this insanely gory uh, illustrated journals, sort of a proto-tabloid where, you know, any accident, murder, hanging, flogging, nothing was too gory for these guys to render in these incredibly nightmarish, surreal kind of engraved woodcuts. Uh, you can look up these pictures at the State Library of Victoria's website. They're just extraordinary. Mm. I, I managed to buy a, a reproduction of uh, most of the run of this. It only went for a couple of years. But this newspaper was insanely popular. Uh, it outsold the age. And, you know, it's main kind of clientele, its main audience was supposedly the lower classes, um, the larrikins. And, you know, we just fed this, you know, desire to see uh, the worst sort of violence and, and sexual scandal in the colony. So there was this, you know, and, and of course, once someone was hanged, um, the phrenologist would turn up and take measurements of the of the guy's head and pronounce, of course, he was guilty no matter what was in the court. You know, yeah. he's got these bumps here, here and here, which indicate he was a murderer. Then the phrenologist or his assistant would take a, a cast of the guy's head and, you know, a couple of days later he'd appear in the waxworks, you know, holding the murder weapon, dressed in the actual clothes that he'd been wearing. Um, and the Melbourne Waxworks from sort of, you know, the early 1860s was the biggest tourist attraction in Melbourne. And the number one attraction in the Waxworks was the Chamber of Horrors. So there was just this incredible sort of, you know, entertainment industry built around capital and corporal punishment and, you know, crimes of intense violence. Yeah, I wonder if there's any crossover between that and people's current obsession with true crime across all mediums. I'm not saying it's the same. I, I look, I think that's exactly right. I mean, I, yeah. I, you know, 
there's there is if anything these days we're a little bit more tasteful and reserved and thoughtful about it but this appetite for it has been there you know back in in england in the 1750s there was a book called the newgate calendar which is you know a telephone sized uh a telephone book sized tome and all it was was stories of crimes that had been expiated on the gallows illustrated with all the gory details and this thing was like one of the best-selling books in print it was up there with the bible every home should have one so that you know, young kids could learn their Newgate lesson and not end up like, you know, the hanged man. Of course, you know, what it was was just prurient interest in, you know, graphic crime. So uh, sort of, you know, Dharma being a top of Netflix is is nothing new. It goes back, mm. you know, quarter of a, a millennium or more. Well, taste. Look, look what happened in the Colosseum. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm. totally right. And, and Governor Castillo actually um, referred to that in his diary when, you know, uh, He's talking about this guy getting whipped, and this guy's getting whipped for sodomy. So he, this guy, for consensual sex with another man, is sentenced to 13 years in jail, the first three in irons, 13 years with hard labour, and 150 lashes served up in three sets of 50. And that was the maximum a judge could hand down. And the judge who handed this down was Redmond Barry. I mean, he's the guy who famously sent Ned Kelly to the gallows. Um, and in one of the floggings... Um, this this guy, Robert Morrison, his back was just minced. But the newspapers were like, this was too lenient. This wasn't severe enough. And Castillo expressed his disgust saying, you know, if this was, you know, uh, this is like the Coliseum days, you know, the hyenas, he's talking about the public or mm. the people who are watching it, saying that it's not severe enough. There's no compassion. There's no mercy. All they want is for it to be, you know, harder and heavier. Absolutely horrifying. And uh, we are currently talking with Michael Adams, the host and creator of the history podcast Forgotten Australia and also the author of Hanging Ned Kelly, which is what we are talking about right now. But what we're going to do now, listeners, is take a bit of a break and come back next week with part two of our chat with Michael and we'll uh, dive into the story of Ned Kelly himself. Now that we've gotten all the really gory torture stuff out of the way, let's get down to the, um, to the man in the mask. Thanks for listening to Loose Ends this week and we'll see you soon for more Loose Units. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.